1: you return that I might live In my
2: Father's house. Every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But you know what? Unfortunately for so many at that time, it'll be too late. They would have had countless opportunities to make that decision for Christ, but they squander that. But nevertheless, when he comes back, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord.
0: There's a great wedding set to happen, and you're invited. Everyone is. Sadly, many, many people will turn down the invitation. There are many reasons, but ultimately pride is generally at the heart of it. In today's message, Pastor Mike will take a look at what the book of Revelation has to say about this beautiful event. Even if you don't particularly enjoy weddings, there is something you don't want to miss. Not only are you invited, you can participate as a part of the bride, the church. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Revelation chapter 19 as he continues his message, The Marriage Supper of the Lamb.
1: Not be troubled. I remember
2: Now remember, in that uh, message that I delivered back in Revelation chapter 4, uh, that we were first introduced to the, these 24 elders that sit around the, uh, the main throne. This is where all of the uh, worship in heaven is centered upon. But around the focal point in heaven, which is the main throne that God himself sits upon, are these 24 sub-thrones. Now, who are these 24 elders that sit upon these 24 sub-thrones? Well, in that uh, study, I suggested possibly, we're not quite sure, but listen, you will know when finally you arrive at that destination. But possibly, plausibly, it could first of all be the 12 apostles, which represent the New Testament. The remainder of the 12 who sit upon the other thrones may be 12 representatives of the Old uh, Testament, maybe some of the Old Testament patriarchs, maybe some of the Old Testament prophets. We're not quite sure, but you can be sure of this one thing. These 24 were men who were mightily used by God. And so they join in at this time in this hallelujah uh, chorus. The realization of the extent of God's greatness just hits them like a ton of bricks, and thus they break forth in this spontaneous chorus of praise. They're excited. They're encouraged. They're looking forward to what is about to take place. Now, you know, when I was putting this message together, I couldn't help but think that this is sort of like a a picture that corresponds with those times where we receive revelation from God ourselves. You say, what am I talking about? When something hits us, and all of a sudden, we become aware of a, uh, another uh, side of who God is, the greatness of God. It may take place in a service like this, where God opens a text of Scripture to us, and we're just kind of like, it really hits us. It really ministers to us in a very personal kind of a, a way. It might be in our own personal study time. And I hope there is a special personal study time for each and every one of you, a uh, daily You know, you're just reading the text of Scripture. It might have even been a text of Scripture that you've read a dozen times before. But all of a sudden, it takes on new meaning, new relevance, ministers to you in a personal kind of a way. And and it's, it's almost as if the world has stopped for that moment. And it's just you and God, and you know that God is speaking to you. It's those revelation kinds of moments. Or it could be in a time of prayer, right? When you're just praying unto the Lord... You've run into your prayer closet. Something's gone on in your life's experience. And you're troubled. And you're anxious. And so you run into your prayer closet. And uh, you're frustrated. You don't, you're, just, you're concerned about the way things may uh, turn out. And then you just bring those needs before the Lord. And all of a sudden, there's that peace that passes all understanding. God encourages you. God speaks to you. Because what is prayer? Prayer isn't only a one-way street. Prayer is a dialogue, right? You're having a conversation with God. You know, and when we pray unto the Lord, we should take some time out and wait for God to respond to our prayers. It's a conversation. It's a two-way street. And after we've just, you know, poured out our hearts before the Lord, all of our concerns, and we just wait, and then the Lord speaks, and maybe in that still small voice. or He'll bring a verse of Scripture to our memory that addresses our particular situation. And then there, we experience a calmness, that peace, right? You know, this also, I couldn't help but share with you a cross reference. This is also very reminiscent of what is recorded first in the book of Philippians in chapter 10, uh, chapter 2, in verses 10 and 11, when Jesus comes back again, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, whether they are believers or not. Listen, you know what? There will be a population that will have survived the seven years of tribulation and will have not made a decision for Christ and acknowledged Him as their personal Lord and Savior. But nevertheless, when Jesus comes back again, what does it say? At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those upon the earth and of those under the earth, and then in verse 11, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. But you know what? Unfortunately for so many, at that time, it'll be too late. They would have had countless opportunities to make that decision for Christ, but they squandered them. But nevertheless, when he comes back, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That moment when every knee bows, every tongue confesses, Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. So listen, when Jesus came the first time, he was rejected. He was nailed to a cross. But when he comes again, all men, rich or poor, doesn't matter, high or low, will bow in homage at his feet. Alleluia. Hallelujah! Amen? Amen. Okay, let's pick up now in verses 7 and 8. Let us be glad and rejoice. This, is, by the way, is a transitional uh, text. Now we actually get into the title of this morning's message, the subject of the marriage wedding feast, the, the wedding, the marriage of the uh, Lamb. Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. Again, the wife is the church. Keep that in mind. We'll come back to that in a moment. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous act of the saints. Okay, so this great event to which the triune God and the church has been looking forward to has at last arrived. I mean, think about this. This has all been arranged in the councils of God even before the foundations of the world. That's what we were told in the the scriptures. And of course, since the inception of the church, we've all been looking towards this moment in time when Jesus comes back and we with him. Now, this brings us to our second point this morning, and that is the marriage of the Lamb. Now, let's go back to our text. Notice there in verse 7, the Lamb, who is Christ, uh, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world, the Lamb who stepped forward and took the scroll, which is the title deed to earth, out of the hands of God the Father who sits upon the throne, is the central figure here. Notice that in verse 7. It's Jesus. Let us be glad and rejoice and give all honor to Him. Notice. That's the the cry of those who are in heaven. And then you have God's true church that is a part of this picture. And listen, for seven years, the church has been waiting for this event to take place. Since back in chapter 4, when the church is raptured, we've been now waiting for seven years. The church is raptured, and then in in chapter 4, chapter 5 depicts Christ coming and uh, redeeming the world uh, back to himself, uh, taking the scroll. And then chapter 6 begins the seven years of tribulation with the revealing of the Antichrist. And so from chapter 6 to this point, seven years, the church has been waiting for this event to take place. And so this is the full and final union between Christ and his church. And notice, it, this event is depicted in such a way as to communicate great joy and great love and hope and rejoicing. And I think that it's very interesting that it's depicted and likened unto a wedding reception. And I think appropriately so, because at a wedding reception there's great joy and love and hope and rejoicing. And that's what this marriage feast is going to be like uh, in that day. The marriage of the Lamb has come. Now, notice this statement concerning the Lamb's wife that we've already uh, established is the uh, church. And this is pretty curious. So I wanted to clear up any confusion that may, uh, that many of you might uh, have. Notice, let's go back and read verses 7 and 8 one more time. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the uh, saints. Okay, now, again, this is curious. Why is it mentioned that the church, the Lamb's wife, she made herself ready? I mean, are we supposed to make ourselves ready to be accepted by the Lord and be an attendee at this wedding feast? I mean, isn't salvation entirely of grace apart from works? Didn't Paul tell us in Ephesians chapter 2 in verses 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man boast. Isn't that so? That's what we've been told. So what is going on here? Well, the answer to those questions are found in this appropriate translation. So don't buy into that false teaching that you have to make yourself ready. God will help you to make yourself ready. Notice that I'm reading out of a revised version. You know, the King James uh, Version is sort of misleading. Uh, but I believe the revised versions are more accurate of what is recorded here for us in this text. Go back to verse 8. The fine linen, notice you see that there? The fine linen in verse 8 is the righteous acts of the saints. And we only find that translation in the revised versions. Like, for example, in the King James Version, it says the fine linen is the... Uh, righteousness of the uh, saints. But it doesn't say is the righteous acts of the saints. So that word righteousness refers to righteous deeds. So, here's where the confusion comes in. Don't confuse the righteousness of God, which is imputed to us by faith in Christ, and the righteous acts of the saints. Simply, We're talking about doing the right thing while we are here upon the earth. Those are the righteous acts of the saints. But that doesn't buy us a position in heaven. We're simply saved. We receive our salvation through the operation, through grace, through the operation of faith in Jesus Christ. Now, it's a sad... Let's talk about some of those acts... You know, it, it's, just the, it, it, it's just the outgrowth of our salvation. Uh, Jesus himself said that uh, we're going to bring forth fruit, and it varies from one person to another. Some, some folks will bring forth fruit tenfold, others thirtyfold, others sixtyfold, others a hundredfold. But any person who has gone through a genuine conversion experience will bear fruit. Listen, if you are uh, grafted into the vine. In John's Gospel in chapter 15, the church is depicted, believers are depicted as the branches. And if we have been grafted into the vine, you shall bear much fruit. That's what we're told in John's Gospel in chapter 15. You can't help it. If you've gone through a genuine conversion experience, if you've been born again of the Spirit of God, your life will bear fruit to the glory of God uh, the Father. But you know, it's, so those are the works that's being referred to here. But, but it's, those works uh, have nothing to do with the uh, basis of your salvation. It's on the basis of grace through the operation of faith in Christ and in Him alone. But nevertheless, it's sad but true that some Christians will not be ready to meet Jesus when He comes for His church. In fact, when he comes back, some believers, and their believers, make no mistake about it, will be ashamed at his uh, coming. Listen, there is such a thing that is referred to in the Bible as the Bema seat of Christ. It's also referred to the judgment seat of Christ, where all believers will stand before Jesus and Jesus will pour out his blessings and his rewards to those who have faithfully uh, served him with the right attitude and motivation. In fact, as a cross-reference for this, if you would turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, if you would, in 1 Corinthians in chapter 3 in verses 13 through 15, and listen, I'm going a long way to make this point because I don't want any of you in that day, listen, your salvation's already secured. You've already gotten the pass into heaven. But you know what? In that day when you stand before God, you don't stand before Jesus, you don't want to be ashamed in that day. You want to be sure that you've done everything that you could possibly have done to further his kingdom while you were here upon the earth, while you had the opportunity. Specifically, when you stand before Jesus, and we have an indication that when we see him, we'll see him as a lamb who has been slain. Revelation chapter uh, 5. And in other words, we'll see him with the marks of his crucifixion upon his body. And in that day, we'll receive the revelation. We'll begin to understand uh, the great sacrifice, how much it cost him, the price that he paid, so that we could arrive at this final destination in heaven. So thus, we don't want to be ashamed in that day, right? We don't want to cringe when we have to stand before him. So anyway, this Bema Seat of Christ, this judgment seat, our sins have already been judged at the cross. This is not the great white judgment throne of Jesus Christ where unbelievers will stand one day. That's depicted for us in Revelation chapter uh, 19. We'll talk about that in one of our future uh, studies. But anyway, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. Each one's work will become clear For the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire. In other words, everything that we've done, supposedly, for the name of Christ, will be scrutinized. It'll be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is, whether it was done with the right attitude and motivation, whether it was done for the glory of Christ or for the pat on our back. To hear people say, "Oh, that was what a great job you did! We're so thankful for you, Pastor." You know that kind of a thing. The motivation behind the things that we've done. Now, if anyone's work, which he has built on it, endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. So this has no, so works has nothing to do with our salvation. Do you see that? I just wanted to make that uh, clear. Yet so as though by fire. Now, jump ahead to 2 Corinthians quickly, which is the next book of the Bible. And in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 5, notice there in verse 10, "For for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, according to what He has done, whether good or bad. So listen, when you stand before Christ, I hope there's no regrets. I hope that none of you will be ashamed, particularly as it dawns upon us the tremendous price that Christ paid, the cost that we might arrive at this final destination and spend with Him all of eternities. I hope those opportunities that God had provided for us were not lost or squandered. Then there are some also that will be a part of this group who have taken the name of Christ and are guilty of committing unrighteous uh, acts. They're wearing unfit garments for a wedding day. You know, only God knows what you're allowing to go on in your life. You know, you believe in Christ, and yes, your faith gets you to pass into into heaven. But what are you participating in? What are you involved in when you're away from the body? What are you allowing to go on in your life? Listen, this is the truth. Before we're caught up to meet the Lord in the rapture, to come back to reign with Him, there must be a day of reckoning and readiness and we can't be wearing the wedding garment of our own making. Holiness, purity, faithfulness, these are the garments of the new man, the new woman. The wedding gown must be made up of these good works. So that's what this text of Scripture is testifying to uh, here in the book of Revelation. Interestingly enough, back then within this culture, uh, when a girl would meet a young man, and he began to court her, she would acquire a hope chest. And she would begin to lay away lovely, clean pieces of apparel in anticipation of her wedding day. And she would work diligently to prepare her bridal gown. Let me ask you, what are we putting in our bridal chest for this day? Of what will your wedding garment be made of when Christ comes back? Listen, the fruit of a good and godly life make an excellent garment. The white linen of a holy and useful life, a dedicated life, make a lovely garment for such a glorious occasion as this. In my Father's
1: house, there's a place for me. In my Father's
0: house, where I long to be. Oh, my the book of Revelation is filled with symbols and numbers and pictures that seem beyond comprehension. Yet each one has a purpose and meaning. This book takes you into the end of the world, the time when Jesus will return to redeem the earth and rid it once and for all of evil. It's a time that may be sooner than you think. And that's why we're so glad you joined us today to study this important final book of the Bible on In My Father's House. If you'd like to hear more teachings from this series in Revelation, or if you want to explore Pastor Mike's studies in the other books of the Bible, Just visit harvestnyc.org. You can also subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. That way, you'll be notified each time we post a new edition of the show. We want to meet you, too. If you're going to be in Midtown Manhattan, come join us this Sunday for worship at Harvest Christian Fellowship. You'll be able to reserve your seat and get directions at harvestnyc.org or join us virtually. We're streaming each Sunday and Thursday, so everyone has the chance to attend and worship as a community of believers. That website again is harvestnyc.org. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to let you know that we're praying for you. You are a valued listener, and we're grateful to have you tuned in to learn about the love of God from the pages of Scripture. With that, our time with you is coming to an end. Join us next time for another edition of In My Father's House.
1: There's a place for